Conscious Capital. Profit equals people and planet. This is Conscious Capital with Tane Hunter. Revolutionising the way we think about business and investment. Find us on DAB Plus and Instagram. Hi, I'm Tane Hunter and you're listening to Conscious Capital, where we explore the cutting edge of science, technology and human progress to help individuals and organizations understand what's coming next. On this show, you'll hear from scientists, entrepreneurs and technologists who are all on a mission to foster intelligent and optimistic thinking about our future. You'll learn that there are better ways of doing things in the 21st century and how you can be part of creating and investing in a fair and sustainable future for all. Conscious Capital. Better business for a better world. Now, if you care about the climate, you're probably already doing what you can to reduce your impact. But we know that it's going to take systemic change to transform the way we live and transition into a renewable energy, zero emissions future. So how do you connect your actions as an individual to this system shift that really needs to happen? What if you could apply the same changes you make in your own life to the company that you work for? Imagine that instead of just switching your own electricity to green power, you could convince your corporation to switch their entire operations to 100% renewable energy. Then you've just shifted the system, so congratulations. If you're interested in this type of change, then you're in for a treat, because later in the show you'll hear from Lori Legros from Work for Climate to help give us some guidance towards a sustainable future. Work for Climate gives you clear, step-by-step playbooks that help you influence and accelerate your company's decarbonization initiatives. They give you access to their tools, support, and community that will help you become an effective changemaker inside your corporation. Work for Climate's mission is to help you 10x your climate impact by showing you how to deliver the most significant decarbonization initiatives with inside your organization. But before we get to that, let's talk about some recent stories on the frontiers of science and technology, new innovations, and human progress that are making the world a better place. Why, you ask? Because I'm really excited about what's going on in the world and beyond, and I think you should be, too. Because right now, there are 10 people living in space, and on our closest celestial neighbor, a space mission has peered further beneath the moon's surface than ever before. The Change E4 mission became the first to land on the far side of the moon back in 2018. And now, it's using its lunar-penetrating radar technology to capture data that's allowed scientists to visualize hidden structures a thousand feet below the lunar surface in fine detail, revealing billions of years of previously hidden history. Now, back here on the planet we call home, the UK is investing millions in peatland restoration. Over 85,000 acres of peatlands are set to be restored across the UK with 20 million of new funding. Currently, peatlands cover 10% of the UK's total land area, and 87% of them are degraded. Even in this state, the peatlands contain more than half of the country's land carbon stores. They also provide natural flood defenses and provide water filtration. This is great news because restoring them is crucial to achieving climate and biodiversity targets, and it's also good for that fine, smoky whiskey. 
capital. Net profit to net zero. U.S. farmers are really into agrovoltaics, which has completely changed the narrative that solar is a waste of productive land. The partial shade of solar plants actually improves crop yield while conserving water and soil. And the relationship, it's reciprocal. As the vegetation beneath the array creates a cooling microclimate that improves solar conversion efficiency. It's a win-win situation. Meanwhile, engineers in Belgium have invented ultra-thin, flexible, lightweight solar panels made from copper, idium, gallium, and selenium that are only one millimeter thick. Now, although thin, the solar panels are robust and can be integrated into various surfaces, and the developer's company is already in talks to produce them commercially for truck roofs, which totally makes sense as an application for this type of technology. And I recently discovered a powerful new idea this week, biocentrism, which is a vision for humanity that celebrates and protects all forms of life as the only way to secure a healthy future. It's really a scientific answer to the meaning of life, a set of moral rules that merge ancient traditions with our growing scientific knowledge of the trillions of worlds around us, presenting humankind with a collective purpose. The fundamental tenet of this biocentric view is that the planet holds life as sacred, and what is sacred must be revered and protected. Tune in to Opportunity. Disrupt Radio. Let's talk about some recent progress in one of my favorite areas, clean energy, because things are heating up. Now, I'm going to talk about gigawatts a lot in this conversation. So just to put it into perspective, each gigawatt can power up to 750,000 households for one year. And that's for homes in the developed world. In the undeveloped world, that capacity goes a lot further. So keep that in mind during this conversation. In news that will not come as a surprise to regular listeners, the global renewable energy market is growing faster than even the most optimistic forecasts. The latest estimates suggest that renewable capacity additions are set to jump to more than 440 gigawatts in 2023. That is the largest annual increase ever. And the clean energy revolution has finally arrived in South Africa, the world's most coal-dependent economy. Individuals and companies have been installing mind-blowing amounts of distributed solar. Capacity has risen from just below 1 gigawatt in March of 2022 to 4.7 gigawatts last month. And another 3.2 gigawatts will be added by the end of this year, bringing the total to 7 gigawatts in just two years, which is a sizable amount considering the entire capacity of the country is around 40 gigawatts. Meanwhile, Nigeria is building West Africa's first solar factory and may be on the verge of a boom in rooftop solar. As the recent ending of an expansive gasoline subsidy, which really undercut the economics of fossil fuel power generators. But around 46% of Nigerians still have no access to electricity. So a boom in rooftop solar would be a seriously huge help. BYD, the largest EV maker in the world, has completed an agreement to take over the abandoned Ford factory in the state of Brija in Brazil. 
The company plans to use the factory to produce vehicles primarily for the domestic market. Now, this is a big deal because Brazil is one of the world's largest car markets. And India just approved plans for a nearly $7 billion scheme to deploy 10,000 electric buses in 170 cities over the next decade. Now, along with charging and associated infrastructure facilities, this is going to have a huge impact. The eventual goal is to have a fleet of 50,000 electric buses nationwide. And another game changer in the battery world, this one coming from Cattle, C-A-T-L, the world's biggest battery manufacturer. It has just unveiled a new EV battery dubbed Shenzhen, or godlike movement, which can refuel for 400 kilometers or 250 mile range in just 10 minutes. That's within shouting of the weekly average for most drivers here in Australia, so hang on to your hats. And a year ago, journalists at Bloomberg Green carried out analysis showing that 19 countries had reached the crucial 5% tipping point for electric vehicle adoption. In the last 12 months, five more countries, Canada, Australia, Spain, Thailand, and Hungary, have made the leap, joining the U.S., China, and most of Western Europe. Now, imagine if this is what the news sounded like. How would it make you feel? I think it would give a lot more people hope and tear them away from the doom and gloom that fills our information highways. Regardless of where you are in your business journey, in those early days of startup land or running a well-established organization, climate impact and the preservation of biodiversity is now an essential part of the business playbook. As well-intentioned as they may be, Navigating the rapidly changing landscape of climate change and the language that comes with it can be tricky and confusing at times, even for the most experienced of players, which is why we've asked Lori Legros from Work for Climate to help us cut through that noise. Welcome, Lori. Thank you so much, Tani, for having me. Can you tell us something about yourself that people wouldn't be able to read online about you? Sure. So something that most people wouldn't know about me is I made a pledge to stop flying three years ago. I decided to do it after calculating my carbon footprint and realizing that all the actions I was taking to reduce my impact were basically dwarfed by this one Mm. international flight that I was taking. Yeah, it sounds like a weird thing to do, especially if you live on an island continent. But if you take a step back and consider the fact that 80% of the world's population has never been on a plane, it doesn't seem too crazy. Yeah, I'll see where that plage takes me. But for now, no flying for me. No, I like that a lot because flying is something that I do for a job. And so I do feel quite guilty about it. Do you know about any innovation that's happening in aviation that is interesting? Electric planes are getting off the ground, especially on the smaller scale. But do you have any insight into that and how we can reduce our carbon footprint footprint if you do have to fly? Yeah, absolutely. I think there are lots of technological innovations that are being worked on, some more promising than others. Sustainable aviation fuel, hydrogen or electric powered planes. There's a really interesting one happening at the moment around the impact of contrails. So contrails is the less known 
impact of flying because it's not CO2 and there are ways to address these. So to me, that would be the most promising. But I guess the main point here is I, having looked into that topic, I my belief is that there are no technological solutions that will enable this industry to continue operating at the same level or grow as it's projected to do. And so for me, like the best solution to limit the impact of flying is to reduce the amount of flying that we do. And a lot of the flying that we do is not really necessary. Most of it is happening for people who are going on holidays. So I think we need to have a sort of serious conversation about why we fly. So we're not saying that no, everybody needs to stop flying tomorrow, but it's about looking at the technological advances and looking at yeah how much flying we do. Absolutely. When you can have a staycation or drive in your electric vehicle to a place close to relieve yourself from the daily grind, do that. I like that. Now, you have an accent. Do you have to fly to get back home in case anything happened or would you take a ship? Where are you from? Yeah, I'm from France. So, you know, you hit a really difficult reality for me, which is I've been an expat on the other side of the world for 13 years. So for me, not flying has quite deep implications. It's something that I'm working to address, but it is a difficult reality for sure. So let's get down to a bit of business brass tacks. So in 2019, you were working at Google and it sounded like you had a pretty wonderful job. But then around that time, you set yourself a goal to make your job a climate job. Can you tell us what sparked the transition and more importantly, How did you manage to make that leap? Yeah. So first of all, you're absolutely right saying that I had a job that I loved. And I heard lots of people saying when I quit, you're doing this passion project that's so amazing. And thank you for the work you do. And I've always been quite uncomfortable about this because the reality is that I don't do this out of passion. Or maybe I do if you think keeping a planet habitable is a passion. But I I think it should be everyone's passion, really. When it comes to Google, I had a series of aha moments or like awakening that made me realize that climate was not only a problem, but it was a problem that was so important that it justified shifting my career path and getting involved on a much bigger scale. So it took a lot of exploration before I could land my dream climate job. And yeah, it took about a year of a lot of learning and a lot of unlearning as well before I ended up at Work for Climate. And honestly, it's been two years now and it's the best decision I've ever made. I'm fully backing your decision because I believe that the climate is very important and planet Earth is the only home we've ever known. And we're all roommates in this crazy spaceship Earth. So tell us a little bit about your current job at Work for Climate and what the company is all about. I quit my job because I wanted to make my job a climate job, but I didn't realize at the time that one of the ways that I could have made my climate job would have been by actually staying put and try to influence the company I was working for from the inside. Work for Climate actually exists for people who are looking to do exactly that. So we're trying to 
make create this new pathway for people who are looking to take action on climate. Making your job a climate job is a pretty broad concept and there are lots of different approaches to it. Our approach is to say employees are the most powerful assets of companies and that means that they have influence, they have power. And so what we're saying is you can actually help speeding up the necessary changes that need to happen within companies for the whole corporate sector to align with climate goals. So lots of people will say, okay, I want to make my job a climate job. That means for me, I'm going to go and work for an organization whose DNA is about climate. So we call them climate first organizations, but a really powerful way of making your climate job could be to say, well, actually, I'm going to influence my company to do better and accelerate the change from the inside. So that's, yeah, that's what Work for Climate is about. No, I love that. I talk to a lot of corporations and being the ability to inspire people inside the corporation, I believe is not only crucial, but a very good way to drive about change, especially at scale. Which brings me to my next question. What kind of companies do you work with? And a follow up, does the size of the company always equal the scale of the impact? Is it a linear relationship, exponential or diminishing returns? So to answer the first part of the question, we basically work with any type of company, any sector. We welcome everyone who wants to make their job a climate job. I guess there are some profiles of companies that we tend to not necessarily get involved with as much. So for example, few like Pure play, fossil fuel companies are not necessarily the companies that we say, okay, we can transform these companies from the inside because I tend to believe that the required approach for this type of company is very different. But for basically every other company out there, there is an opportunity to contribute meaningfully to the climate threat. We welcome everyone. And on on the second question, does the size of the company equal to the impact? I guess it depends on what what product or services the company does. So some companies might be smaller but have an outsized impact on the problem and equally a different opportunity to contribute to it. So I don't think there is a linear relationship between the size of the company and the potential impact, both in terms of contribution to the problem and contribution to the solution. But certainly with size comes influence, typically. So we see a lot of companies that may not seem the biggest contributors to the problem on paper, But these companies, through their influence, could have an outsized impact on the solutions. So, yeah, thinking of big tech companies, for example, we don't necessarily think about them as being the first companies that we need to address in terms of their carbon pollution. But these companies have such a big influence So it means that if employees manage to convince the company to use that influence to act Mm. for climate, then the impact could be really powerful. 
And also, depending on the type of tech company it is, if they're into managing data, like storage of data and managing data uses a lot of energy. And if you're selling a technological product like a smartphone, something like that has a huge carbon footprint and potential environmental degradation based on getting the resources and shipping them or even flying them around the world. But talking about influence, I find it really weird because occasionally I talk to fossil fuel companies and I feel very often very awkward about it. But if you could change their mind because they've got a lot of the money and they've caused a lot of the problems. I like the idea that you could be a Trojan horse inside of a fossil fuel company and shift their, their asset and their value towards a sustainable future. Anyway, do you think fossil fuels will ever be able to change or are they just going to fight tooth and nail and do continue to do irreparable damage? That's a very good question. Look, I think people have very different answers to that question. I think it's a very big topic. My sort of take on it is we've been asking these companies to change for the past 30, 50 years since we were like first became aware of the problem. These companies have been saying that they will change for the past 30, 50 years. And what they've been doing instead is accelerating towards climate catastrophe. So they are leading us straight into the world and actually putting their foot on the accelerator instead of the brakes. So whether we can actually change the minds of the people who control these companies, I'm not so sure. I would encourage everyone listening to this podcast to listen to Al Gore's latest TED Talk, where he is pretty fired up against the fossil fuel companies and the sort of influence that they have on society and how they represent the biggest blocker to climate action and Mm. what we can actually do to remove this power of influence. Maybe some people inside those companies can make changes, but I don't think that overall we should wait for them to, you know, lead us towards this transition. I think we can do it without them. Yeah, and hopefully potentially turn the tides and lead them, if anything. Okay, what issues are you most worried about in the term of preserving biodiversity and climate change? Where do you see the pitfalls and where do you see the biggest existential risk to society and the planet at the moment? First of all, I started the podcast saying that climate was such a big problem that it couldn't be ignored. And basically, if we don't fix climate then pretty much nothing else matters. But I guess another important thing to mention at this point would be that we are in a position now where we need to be conscious that climate is only one of several planetary boundaries that we have been crossing or we are very close to crossing. So there's some research that has been conducted that identified nine planetary boundaries that we basically cannot exceed if we, unless we run the risk of hitting some very dangerous tipping points where we would see the whole system spiral out of control. And so out of those nine boundaries, climate is only one of them. And we are exceeding the limits of six of them. And so 
what it means is that I we need to worry not just about climate change, but we need Absolutely. to worry about all of these other planetary boundaries as well. And it happens that for a lot of the solutions, addressing climate actually helps address the other planetary boundaries, but it's not the case for all. So I would be worried about this possibility where we focus only on this idea of decarbonization without looking at all of the other impacts. And I'm thinking primarily biodiversity, but also I think one of the issues that we are not really paying attention to at this moment in time is water. I'm not an expert in the water crisis, but it's definitely something that I have on my radar because, yeah, we can't approach this issue from a like siloed lens and be like, okay, we're going to decarbonize, but what about everything else? Absolutely. Decarbonization is important, but it, we are part of a complex system. And water in particular is the solvent of life. We, we essentially need it for all life to continue and to occur in the first place. But what are some of the other boundaries you mentioned too? What are, you don't have to list them all, but what are some of the other boundaries that is entailed within this nine? So another one is pollution. So that's basically all of the things that we put in the environment. So whether it's plastic pollution or fertilizers or other pollutants. Two of the boundaries are about water. Another boundary is about the ozone layer. And that's mm. the one that we are actually one of the only ones that we've actually managed to fix. Protect the sunscreen of the world through the ozone. Yeah. And... So it's about thinking about our system as a biodiverse, I guess, biosphere, an ecosystem, an environment that we all take play in. Yeah. And we need the water, the air, and the weather to all play nicely together. So climate change and the words around it, they often, there are a lot of buzzwords, you know, and there's a lot of greenwashing out there. Now, we read a great article you posted on LinkedIn about understanding the real difference between zero emissions net zero emissions and carbon neutral. Yeah, explain. Can you talk us through this? Sure. So I guess the premise of writing that article is the confusion that we see in brands' communication right now about carbon neutrality or net zero being zero emissions. And I think, as you said, there there is a lot of confusion um, from humans and consumers about what this all means. So I think we, because brands have been more aware of the need to take action, they are seeing as having some kind of response to it. And these days it seems like every product or company out there is carbon neutral. But when you start looking at the meaning, you realize that I guess the main thing is If companies are carbon neutral, are they actually fixing the problem? And one of the main tests would be to say if all companies tomorrow were to become carbon neutral, would would we have fixed the problem? And unfortunately, the answer is no, because there isn't nearly enough offsets on this planet available to compensate for all the emissions that we send into the atmosphere every year. That's the fundamental thing to understand about this whole carbon neutrality concept. So it started as brands 
claiming carbon neutrality for either the whole organization or products. So you can say, okay, like I've, if I am advertising a carbon neutral product, it means that all of the emissions associated with the making of that products have been compensated in one way or another. But the primary issue with that is carbon neutrality is only a concept that exists at the global level. We are aiming for global carbon neutrality, which is the point in time where all of the human generated emissions are being compensated by the emissions that are absorbed by either the natural systems or humans engineered technologies. And this concept has been used to be like, they has become the, the ultimate goal. The concept is also applicable to countries uh, and that's the premise of COP negotiations. So countries are aiming to become net zero by a certain date or carbon neutral by a certain date. Those terms are actually interchangeable. But when it comes to companies, it doesn't really make sense for a company to say that they are carbon neutral because it would mean that somehow they have managed to cancel out all of their impact. And that can't really happen in a world that isn't carbon neutral. So yeah, that's what I was trying to explain in that article. And the last term, which was zero emissions, that term is also being thrown around in lots of marketing communications. And unfortunately, the reality is that there is no zero emission product because everything we do in our current yeah. modern society emits CO2. So for example, zero emission has been used to just to for electric vehicles and it says or actually on the vehicle, like it's a zero emission vehicle. It's not a zero emission vehicle. It's zero emission during the usage phase. And yeah. that's not even true because an electric vehicle uses well electricity and that electricity Unless you live in a country that has an electricity system that is 100% powered by renewables, the electricity isn't zero emission either. So the vehicle cannot be zero emissions. And that doesn't even take into account the process of making the car. Yeah. So, yeah, no zero emissions product is the conclusion. Yeah, absolutely. If you dive into the supply chain and manufacturing, industrial manufacturing accounts for a large percentage of the world's emission problem. Um, and human beings ourselves, we're not zero emission either. No, but then it becomes a matter of order of magnitude. And that's a really important mm. concept to grasp because with climate change, we have big numbers, right? And our human brains are not very good at dealing with big numbers. And so mm. it becomes very di difficult for the non-expert mind to make sense of what is one ton of CO2 versus what's a hundred ton or a million ton. And when you say everything emits CO2, that is true, but not in the same orders of magnitude. Electric vehicles, for example, are still way, way better than thermal engine vehicles. And so that's also something to keep in mind. So when I say there is no zero emission 
process, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't adopt those lower emissions technologies today. Yeah. And also acknowledging the final product. If the final product is zero emissions, but also trying to get the supply chain as carbon neutral as possible, because the supply chain will never be carbon uh, zero emissions. It's just nice to get some granularity. Now, work for climate is really about the changing role of business from purely profit-driven to purpose-driven. What are your thoughts on that? Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, that's the kind of the ultimate goal is to move to this new corporate system where corporations are not driven by just profits. And we have moved away from the frame of business doing less harm to business becoming regenerative. And so for us, like that's the long term view. But before we can get to that vision of regenerative business, there are lots of things that can happen within the current system. And so what we're doing with Work for Climate is trying to take a sort of phased approach and work on what is feasible today and get corporations to move on the more strategic things that will have impact today before we can have those bigger conversations about basically stopping this capitalistic system that's driven by profits and perpetual growth. But that's a bigger conversation that when we talk to people and businesses today, it's not necessarily a conversation that everyone is ready to have. And so we're trying to yeah, take a more gradual approach to things and say, here are the things that you can do today that will have a sizable impact. But let's continue along the journey to realize the bigger changes that need to happen. Because ultimately, yeah, I don't think that we are going to solve climate change within the current capitalistic system. So there are things on my mind about how do we actually create that emerging system and what are the pockets of things that we can change within the current system that will lead us to that bigger vision. Absolutely. The title of the show is Conscious Capital and Ways to Be More Conscious About It. Capital and capitalism does have its downfalls. And I believe, you know, purpose over profit, but also the general idea of creating more value than you capture not always taking your slice of the pie, but if you expand, expand the entire pie, even if you got 1% of the pie, you're, what you get and what you gain becomes is increased and so is the value that everyone else gets to experience. So you help businesses go from purely profit to purpose-driven. What are some tangible ways that someone can make their job a climate job, whether they're running the company or working as an employee? How does that look on the ground for you? And how does Work for Climate think about this? So the first way that we think about it is to help people look at their current role through a climate lens. And so that's it's that idea that if you're in marketing, what are the things that you can do to make the marketing function more aligned with climate goals, or if you're in finance, what does that look like for you? So we help people realize within their current job function, what are the ways that they can take action on climate? And the second big component of our work is helping people realize their 
influencing power. So this is all about collective action and influence and people sort of organizing inside the company to ask for better practices of businesses. And so when someone goes to their bosses and asks the question, oh, can we, can we adopt a science-based target, for example, for our emissions, it's never going to be very efficient if it's one person asking. But if it's a hundred people asking and they're, they've managed to build a very solid business case for it, then it becomes an entirely different conversation. So what we're trying to do is help people realize their collective power and raise awareness about the things that the business can do and, and, and build the business ethical or moral case or a mix of those three for the business to actually start taking action on it because they realize that if it's something that employees want, then yeah, maybe there's no other way around it. Let's talk about solutions rather than just some of the problems. Do you have any success stories from companies you've worked with that really stand out? And you don't have to mention the company's name, by the way, but just what success have you seen in your work? I guess the biggest success that we're seeing is not necessarily companies that have entirely shifted because what we see our role as being a part of the puzzle. And so if a company shifts, it might not be as a direct result of our intervention, but it's going to be the result of multiple interventions and we can't actually take the credit for it because mm. there's no way to attribute that success. So I think it's really about that sort of movement of different leverage points applying pressure at the same time. But where we see success is when we kind of trigger that personal transformation journey for yeah. employees and people. And it's something that it's the whole reason why I do this work is when because we, we do a lot of coaching of individual employees and connect them with others trying to do the same work or in different sectors or, or we connect them with people inside the climate movement to realize, okay, what are the things that you can do given your position in this company? And we've managed to create some internal campaigns within some pretty large companies where people had this transformation from seeing the climate action at work from one lens being, okay, I'm going to be part of a green team and we're going to, um, you know, some take actions of side of desk or actions that don't have much to do with the core business to actually being, okay, what actions can we take that will influence what the business actually sells and does and operates in this world and taking some of those more strategic actions. Yeah, I think what we're seeing is it's a lot more about the personal transformation rather than those stories of, okay, like we've shifted this company or this company. It's an ecosystem approach, both the individuals and the ecosystem or an organization matter. And if you can't change things at an organizational level, start with the individual and That's right. hopefully get yes. some traction. We've got to wrap up, unfortunately, because I love chatting with you. But to finish, you posted a great joke about what to say at your job interview at a fossil fuel company. Do you remember it? And do you want to share it? Because I thought it was pretty funny. I would love for someone to actually take me seriously and go in a fossil fuel company 
ends answer an interview question. But that would actually require the interviewer to ask the question, tell me a joke. And I don't know how often that happens in actual interviews and probably even less at a fossil fuel company. But the joke was you go in for an interview at a fossil fuel company and the interviewer says, tell me a joke and you answer your net zero plan and you walk out and that's how you nail an interview at a fossil fuel company. I like it. No, that's great. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today, Laurie. That was amazing and a lot of food for thought. Thank you so much, Danny. That's it for this episode of Conscious Capital. Be kind to each other and stay classy, planet Earth. And don't do anything we wouldn't do. Conscious Capital. Tune in to the business of being better. Disrupt Radio, you'll hear Nick Bratz. Congressman Adam Smith was successful by every measure, serving as a U.S. representative for Washington's 9th Congressional District and previously serving in the Washington State Senate. Yet seemingly out of nowhere, his body and mind broke down to the point where every day was a relentless struggle just to keep moving. Soul Trader provides you with invaluable insights, guidance and inspiration to become the best version of yourself as an entrepreneur and a human being. If you have chronic pain, if you have mental health issues, help exists. It's not easy. It's not simple. It's almost never going to be the same uh, for, for any two people, but it's there. Nick Brax helps your mind, body and soul find a work-life balance sheet with Soul Trader. Live on DAB Plus, online and on demand at disrupt.radio.